0: Morning, everyone. Good to be here again this morning with you as we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes and seeing the great difference between biblical wisdom and worldly foolishness. And before we begin, let's recite our little phrase this morning. And I actually have it highlighted and underlined a couple different times uh, to make sure I do not forget it. Uh, Wisdom is correctly applied biblical knowledge wisdom is correctly applied biblical knowledge meaning that we have god's word this is his only knowledge to us the only revealed revelation the only truth that is verifiable and given to us by god breathed by him it's inspired it has authority it has supremacy it has rule and direction for our lives And it is the only word that gives us that kind of direction. And when we apply it correctly, that means have it um, not just memorized, but internalized. When we live it for God, it is pleasing to him, and it says that we walk in wisdom. And through the book of Ecclesiastes, we have seen Solomon giving us description after description about a life that is void of God, void of wisdom a mindset and an outlook that doesn't consider God and his holiness and his character and his word and you just live life for yourself and the end of the story is, well, you might as well eat, drink and be merry, dance and have a great time because this is it. And Solomon is saying there is so much more to life, real life before God than just eating, drinking, being merry and saying this is it. We have a responsibility before God not just simply to read his word, study his word and know his word, but to live it to make it part of our passion, to make it part of our mindset and apply it daily. But fools reject that completely. In fact, if we were to summarize foolishness, we'd be able to say it is incorrectly applied or ignored biblical knowledge. It may not even know it, but they have this sense of who God is and they reject it, they ignore it, they dismiss it, they silence it. So at the very heart of foolishness is not being childish. Those are two different things. Being foolish isn't just simply making a mistake. But foolishness at the heart of it is ignoring or rejecting God's counsel. So when it says, believe this and do this, the fool says, no, I'm not going to believe this and I'm not going to do it. In fact, I even doubt that God wrote this. Some dead people from 2,000 years ago wrote this and it's... It's not relevant for today. And they make excuse after excuse why Jesus Christ cannot be Lord and Savior of their lives. So a fool at the heart of it simply rejects and ignores God's counsel, His truth, and His word. Now, through the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, more than once, and this happened again last weekend after the sermon. so I was talking with some people, and someone said, you know, Tim, I'd, I'd really like to see some more concrete examples of what a fool really is in Scripture. And I've been thinking about this since we started the book of Ecclesiastes, and we have two short chapters in Ecclesiastes to finish, chapter 11 and chapter 12, and I thought that it would be great if this week we kind of sprung board. Sprung board springboarded from the book of Ecclesiastes to the general topic of foolishness in Scripture to see how the rest of Scripture describes what a fool thinks like, how they act, how they treat others, and how they think of themselves before God, because Ecclesiastes is just one small slice of God's instruction regarding correctly applying biblical knowledge and the fool who ignores or rejects biblical knowledge. And it all kind of starts, and there's a lot of focus in the book of Proverbs because, guess what, Solomon wrote a vast majority of Proverbs, so these two books are going to be really similar in their outlook on what a fool is and what wisdom is. Uh, So it starts right at the very beginning of the book of Proverbs in chapter 1, verse 7, in which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction." And right at the very beginning, we have this dichotomy. We have these two worlds. We have a world of wisdom and knowledge, the very first part of that verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, this pursuit of correctly applying God's word in our lives. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The very first part of that verse is a positive verse, fearing the Lord. And I have heard many times to my great disappointment that people and preachers will say this word fear means to have a healthy respect for God and there's nothing further than that from the truth the word fear does not mean have a healthy respect for God that I need to have a respect for God I have to have honesty before God the word fear there in Hebrew and in the Greek means fear it means fear Has anyone ever been afraid? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've been afraid. Multiple times in my life, many times in my life, and there is this general sense of complete uneasiness at the situation where your heart is beating out of your chest, where your palms are sweating, and you are afraid. There is fear that is healthy, that protects us in the end. And then there is fear that makes us cower and hide. The fear that's being described here is this fear in which you are frozen in place knowing that your life is revealed in total before a God who is thrice holy, 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 holy. And you cannot stand before him in your own works with your own credit with your own experiences you are like isaiah in isaiah chapter 6 when he is before the lord and he is undone meaning that every fiber of his being is in absolute frozen state of terror because he is before a god who is not like us who is holy and radiant and beautiful and perfect And immediately at that moment, you realize you're not just inferior, but you might as well be dead before him because you are completely undone. And you cry out, I am not holy. I am not holy. I am not holy. I am not like you. And in Isaiah 6, God knows Isaiah's heart, and he goes, I know you're not, but I'm going to cleanse you. So he symbolically takes an ember from the burning fire of the altar and touches his lip and makes him clean and then sends him on his mission. And Isaiah goes out with boldness. What happens in scripture every time an angelic being visits a human and reveals themselves as an angel? What happens? They fall down, the human fall down In absolute terror because they just came from the holy presence of God. And the angel says, Don't bow to me. Don't worship me. I'm just a messenger. If we have that type of response before an angel who reveals himself as a messenger of God, imagine what it's like being in the presence of God Himself. There is that initial understanding I am not like God, I cannot measure up to Him. I cannot fool him. He sees right through me. His eyes are piercing to the soul as the word is a double-edged sword that pierces to the very marrow of our bodies, our character, our actions, our feelings. Being before God does have a joy, and it does have an expectation of excitement that we will be with him one day but do not think that that familiarity with redemption separates us at all from the idea that it will be a moment where we are frozen, realizing that I am only standing here by the grace of God, not by my own merit, not by my works, not how good I've been. And Solomon says, you want to take this journey about correctly applying biblical knowledge you want to do that you're called to do it as a believer it starts with this true understanding that there is a great difference between you and God and I'd love to be able to give you an illustration of what that difference looks like and you might say oh Tim it's like holding an ant in your hand you being a human that being a created bug and how feeble it is, how weak it is, how insignificant it is, how you could just smash it in your hand and go away, and you could do that to an entire colony of ants. But that diminishes how vastly different God is from us. God is more different than us than we are to an ant, or a bug, or a fly, or a mosquito. He is eternally different than us. And approaching God and approaching his word and humbly reading it and meditating with that fact in mind immediately puts us in the right framework to live wisely before God. Because immediately we realize if he's told us to do this and believe this, and he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, and he is wholly different than us, he is all-powerful, all-knowing, Everywhere, present, at every moment, maybe I need to submit myself. Maybe I need to humble myself. Maybe I need to rightly understand the relationship. We are not peers with God. He is God, and we are, as sometimes Scripture describes us, clay vessels that he made vast difference. And I know, and we don't have time, but your mind immediately runs to, well, then why would he even want a relationship with us? Why would he even want to deal with us? (laughs) Because he loves you. And your mind will immediately go, but I'm not worthy of that love. And he goes, I know you're not. You never will be worthy of his love. You'll never earn it. You'll never spend your way to it. You'll never serve your way to it. You don't deserve a speck of God's attention as much as that ant in the parking lot deserves your attention. None of it. But he loves you. That's the miracle. That is the beauty of the message of grace, undeserved, unmerited love and favor from God to you. And when you start with that understanding, his word becomes alive. And his word becomes meaningful. And you begin to understand it. And you begin to be convicted by it. And you begin to see how beautiful it is. And you begin to hinge every thought on what has God said. You begin to describe every situation in, how is God seen in this? How can I depend upon God? How can I love like God, forgive like God, give myself to others like God? And you are then on the path to wisdom. But the fool sees everything, hears everything I just said, and says, blank. No, not real, not true, a crutch for humanity. Good for you, but it doesn't apply for me, because I am intelligent. And I'm like, oh, spoken like a fool. So we're going to look at a couple more examples not only that example out of proverbs 1 7 but some more examples in scripture about what a fool is like in comparison to what someone who is fearing god and applying that biblical knowledge in a way that pleases god and honors him someone who knows that relationship of who we are before god and who they are before god and in this entire process it is super super important Never once has God said in all the scripture, in everything that he has revealed, make sure you measure your worth and your goodness by the person next to you. He's never told us that wisdom and goodness and foolishness and folly is measured by the person around you. Because you will always find someone who is worse than you and always find someone who is better than you. But even the best example that we can find pales in comparison to the example we have In Christ who we have in God himself so when we talk about foolishness and uh, wisdom being applied we have to be very careful and we have to come to the understanding this is not a comparison between me and someone else that I see doing something dumb and stupid it's between me and God God is the standard of righteousness holiness and goodness he's the standard of kindness he's the standard of what it looks like to be a servant He's the standard of what it looks like to give and generosity. He's the standard of truth and the standard of what is right, not the comparisons we find around us because it takes no more than two minutes on the Internet on a news site to find foolishness. In fact, I I think I'm being very generous that it takes two minutes. Basically, the first headline, I think you're going to find more often than not, Foolishness, either by a person, a company, or a nation, foolishness. So we can't look at the rest of the world and judge ourselves based on them. We judge ourselves based on the only standard that matters, God, His holiness, His perfection. Do we all understand that? Amen. So let's go on to the first one, and that's in Proverbs 12, verse 15. And you'll notice... Once in a while, I'll quote a verse, and I'll have some letters right after that verse citation. Like right here, it says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others, Proverbs 12, 15, NLT. Oftentimes, um, as I'm putting a message together, I read 30, 40, sometimes 40 different translations of Scripture. Every, every time, every time. So every time we read a verse, I've probably read it in, in 20, 30, or 40 different translations because there, I think that's really healthy to kind of see how other people have understood the exact words of translation. So oftentimes, in fact, for the last several series, I've been reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version, uh, the vast majority of times. But sometimes when I'm reading through and I'm studying and I'm putting a message together, I realize this version says it really well. And I want to quote that. And so I'm letting you know with those little letters after a verse if it's not the English standard version. So right now we're looking at the New Living Translation, which is very a very broad type of translation. It, 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 it doesn't focus so much on the exactness of the word as much as it is uh, the meaning of the word in that particular context. And the verse says, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others that contrast between the fool and the wise and the fool as i think we've all exampled in our own lives kind of already thinks you know tim you're talking all about this but in the end i know what's right it's right to me it's right for me and it's best for me and we live in a culture that often applauds this idea that, hey, if it's right for you, it's right for you. If it's right for me, it's right for me, but don't you dare tell me what's right or wrong. It's right for me. It may not be right for you, but it's right for me. Well, thousands of years ago, Scripture knew that our modern-day culture was going to have this internal problem of thinking, I'm always right. Have you ever met someone? I mean, I'm talking, have you ever met someone who really believed every opinion they had was right. Every opinion. I'm not just talking about, you know, it's uh, 11.05. They're like, nah, 11.05 and 12 seconds. That kind of person. Or the kind of person who can have a fact absolutely wrong. I mean, I'm talking, have you ever read a book? You possibly could not have passed kindergarten not knowing how to use a pair of scissors. And yet you think that's the way to use a pair of scissors? You've all met a person like that, right? Well, Scripture knows about these kind of people who always think they're right and they're considered fools. Someone who does ignore biblical knowledge, who doesn't live according to biblical knowledge, but they live according to their own rightness. There is no way, no way, the earth can be a sphere and flat. Someone is wrong and someone is right they got to be. Someone is wrong and someone is right. There is rightness and wrongness. And the person who cannot admit they're wrong is a fool. Because I guarantee you, you have not been right every single time in your life. You haven't. No one has. We've all been wrong. We've all been miserably wrong at times. The wise individual humbly wears that knowledge, lives that knowledge, relates to others with that knowledge that they're not always going to be right. And what their response is, is not to bury their head and ignore, but to seek out others who do know it, who seeks out wisdom and counsel, who asks others, hey, what's your opinion on this? Do you have any knowledge? Can you give any insight onto this? And immediately that person isn't considered ignorant or a fool. They're considered someone who is trying to gather as much information as possible before making a decision or before how they live or respond to something. They're considered wise. Which category do you think a Christian should live their lives in? I'm always right or I always need advice and help. We always need advice. We always need help. The moment you say that you're always right, you are... You are setting yourself up. You are setting yourself up as God. Only God is always right. Only God doesn't need counselors. Only God doesn't need information. He knows it. He is right because he is God. But every one of us, we have to humble ourselves. When we come to a situation that we may have come to a hundred times before... Maybe this is 101, and it's different. And maybe I should depend on the counsel and wisdom of others before I just stick my foot in my mouth and make a fool of myself. Someone who is wise listens to others. Now, you have to have good counselors. I understand that, and Scripture talks about that. But we're talking about broad strokes of how we live our lives in reference to God and to others. Someone who is wise considers the opinions of others. In Proverbs 15, 5, we read, right along the same way, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Now, this doesn't mean everything a father says to their kids is right, okay? Let, let's, let's be very clear about this, but this is in the context of a broader context of a biblical husband and father who is instructing their children on godliness. Like what is good, what is true, what is right, what is beautiful, what is expressed in God's word. And when a child rejects that instruction, they're being foolish. They're ignoring God in that instruction. Heaven knows. When I asked that question before, does anyone know a know-it-all? basically, or someone who thinks they're always right. I'll tell you, before God redeemed me, well, even after God redeemed me, I I was a kid who argued about everything and I was right about everything. Somehow I knew everything in the world. My teachers were (sighs) incompetent. Um, Certainly my mom did not have any valuable instruction for me because I knew it all. Um, I lived a life that rejected not just the instruction of others but the instruction of the parents. And I caused great harm, I caused great pain, I caused great suffering, I felt it, even myself, the pain of disobedience. And there is a time in your life where you are supposed to transition from being the child who always receives instruction and correction to a child who matures and starts making those decisions for themselves based on what they have learned and heard. That probably doesn't come around the age of 10, probably doesn't even come around the age of 13. I know people where it hasn't come around to the age of 30, okay? Um, But there is always opportunity for the person who is striving to be holy and striving to apply biblical knowledge, always a time in which I'm learning and submitting. And one of the things that you're going to find very evident in the difference between a fool and someone who walks with wisdom is in how they receive correction and instruction. Are they a person who receives it? Or are they always the person who has to speak up and give it? Even if you're not giving it in a group, you're thinking it. I don't know, they're totally wrong. Totally wrong, totally wrong. I'm right. They're totally wrong. They're totally wrong. And so you may be vocal in that, or you may be just thinking in your mind, I am so right. I should be the one talking and doing this, and and they're up there making a fool of themselves because I'm right. The fool despises that instruction. Doesn't just reject it and ignore it. Hates it. Lives contrary to it. Speaks contrary to it. Makes decisions contrary to it. And resents it. Why do you keep telling me to tell the truth? Well, because God is a God of truth. And if we're not reflecting that, then we are misleading others and ultimately bringing great harm to ourselves because we're living like a fool. But whoever heeds it, listens to it, pays attention to the instruction, to truth, they are a person who walks with circumspect lives, with purpose, with meaning, especially someone who receives reproof or rebuke. Challenge and change. It's never easy for any of us <laughs> to receive correction. It, it is frustrating. It humbles us. Sometimes it scares us, but oftentimes it makes us look um, foolish in front of others when we have to receive instruction in our own heart and our own mind. But that is how we are before God. Each and every one of us are before God, learning and growing and being changed and challenged by his nature and character and his word. So it is normal for us to be corrected. It wouldn't surprise me if God corrects us 100 times a day. Every time we open up God's word and read it and study it, we should be changed. We should love him more. We should love ourselves less. We should love others more. We should love our stuff less. We should put him first. And we should put ourselves second in every relationship. Others first and ourselves next. We should always be paying attention and listening to that correction and challenge and change, rebuke and reproof and discipline. I've already seen that in the book of Ecclesiastes twice, where we are to receive the discipline of right correction and receive it with joy and thanksgiving because it protects us. It saves us from our own pits, our own snares, our own sin. Discipline is designed to protect us. And as God said, a loving father doesn't withhold discipline but brings it not out of harshness or meanness or out of punishing, but out of a desire to correct foolish hearts so that they would embrace wise living. In Proverbs 18, 12, two, it says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody thinks what they think about politicians, lawyers, used car salesmen. Everybody has opinions about sports, Everybody has opinions about um, people in authority. Everybody has opinions about clergy. Everybody has opinions about missionaries. Everybody has an opinion about the guy or the gal sitting on the corner, standing on the corner with a sign, I am a vet, uh, please give me money. Everybody's got an opinion immediately about that person in that situation based on what they're doing and how they look. A fool is the one who immediately looks at a situation and says, I'll tell you what's going on here. I know, and immediately, you could be vastly humbled when you step up and say, I already know what's going on, making the judgment call about someone or something. And it's a very, very scary place to be in that position of being the know-it-all and someone whose opinion is always freely given, always making the judgment call against someone, not knowing the details behind it or even knowing the person behind it. And we've all made those judgment calls, haven't we? We've all, in our heart and our mind, already figured out what that person, the way they look, what they're like. Right? Absolutely someone with full neck and face tattoos, we automatically look at that and go, what prison did you get out of? I'm like, whoa, that's a huge assumption. You automatically have made your opinion about that person. Whether it's true or not, you've already related to that person like it is true. You've given your opinion on the way you've treated them. I'm not talking about opinions like, okay, what do you think about this or that. I'm talking about how you judge someone immediately in your heart, what they look like, how they talk, how they smell. God says that's how a fool lives their life, always constantly impressing their opinion upon everything and not giving a moment to consider what's really going on here. Maybe the person was in prison. But maybe they're an evangelist who is bringing the gospel to more people in a month than you've done your entire life. Maybe they are more on fire for God than you've ever been. Maybe they give 50% of everything they make to God's kingdom, and you struggle with giving $20 a week. Wow. See, the wise person looks at every individual and every situation not only gathers knowledge and information about the situation in person, but they don't rush to a judgment call to give their opinion on who they are and what they're like automatically. They walk in wisdom. In um, Proverbs 26, 11, it says, quite graphically, like a dog that returns to its vomit, so is a fool who repeats his foolishness. Proverbs 26.11 from the New American Standard Bible, 1985 edition. Uh, Wow. That's pretty graphic. And um, if I had not grown up with dogs my entire life, I would have said, no one does that. Oh, I don't get it. But your dog... Guarantee you, throws up. You know what it wants to do? It wants to eat it. And every response is cringe. I know it's food, but oh, oh. Why? Because that's in its nature. Just like a fool who goes time and time and time again to prejudge others, to always give their opinion to think they got nothing to learn from that looks at God's Word rejects it and ignores it and falls into a trap again and then wonders why is this happening to me why is my life filled with pain sorrow agony defeat why can I never get an upper hand why me 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 I'm like oh my goodness you keep going to your vomit and eating it again why why repeat your foolishness I think this is yet another reason why in looking at Scripture, all of it as one beautiful designed book for our benefit. The fact that it points out something like this should give us comfort that it doesn't hold back. It talks about how life really is because we live in real life. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't some wish book. It's life. It's how life is. Sometimes there's beauty in it and sometimes there's real ugliness and grossness in it. Death, murder, rape, dogs returning to its vomit, all reassuring us that this has been written for us who really live in reality. So the next time you, because we will do it, including myself, it's the you that is plural, all of us, we will make an error in judgment. We will prejudge people. We will ignore advice. We will consider our opinion to be right and the best. So the next time we find ourselves going, how did I get into this? Maybe it'd be helpful to remind yourself of this vivid picture of what a dog does when it vomits. Because we are in that cycle. But you, being redeemed by Jesus, have an opportunity to stop that cycle and never go back to your vomit. (sighs) I don't want to go back to my vomit. Not once. And realizing the graphic nature of what it looks like to God that we're doing should immediately stop us from that pattern of sinfulness. In Isaiah 32, verse 6, another example how fools live. Uh, Fools speak foolishness and make evil plans. So their desire is not to see God's kingdom grow and flourish, but their desire is to see evil and wickedness flourish. They practice ungodliness, which is a rejection of God, and spread false teachings about the Lord. Ah, oh, He didn't really rise from the dead. He's really Satan's brother. We can all be gods. There's no such thing as the Trinity. He's not all-knowing. He learns damnable doctrines. Of heresy that mislead many, if they were not elect, to damnation. Never play or compromise on the character and nature of God. It is not safe, it is not right, it is evil to spread false teachings about the Lord. They deprive the hungry of food and give no water to the thirsty, meaning that their lives example, I'm good and nice, but they do nothing. The fool who thinks themselves, the know-it-all, the person who is never accepting correction or or, 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 or instruction, their lives reflected in how they treat others. They really don't have compassion. They may say they have compassion, but they don't live it. They may say they have love for others, but they don't live it. They may say they have kindness, but they don't live it. God wants us to live those things, practice them, implement them, let them be a benefit to the people around us, not just words spoken, but actions committed and done. And then in Psalm 14, verse 1, We read, a fool says in her heart, there is no God. The ultimate example of foolishness, that there is no God who demands of me an accounting. There is no God who demands of me responsibility or describes holiness to me. There is no one in authority over me. It is me and me alone, and I better be the best and beat everyone else down because it's me, me, me against the world. That is a lonely place to be, that there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Good in God's definition of perfect, righteous, and holiness. God's definition of good is not better than someone. It is perfection. Perfection. And then lastly in Luke, and this is where we're going to end today, Uh, In Luke, Jesus tells this beautiful parable about the rich fool. In verse 13, I'm going to read this, and then we're going to conclude. Someone in the crowd said to him that has said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? That's the role and responsibility of the courts, not Jesus. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, that is, greed and envy. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life is not measured by how many toys you have at the end. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all my crops." And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Being rich towards God is an example of wisdom. Being greedy is, a, is an example of foolishness. And we should be living exactly what John the Apostle said in 1 John 3:16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That is wisdom at play, where even my own life is nothing compared to what I'm called to do for the people around me and to God himself. You want to know an ultimate giving of yourself? It's not $20 in an offering plate. It's giving of your life when God calls upon it. Let's pray. Father, it is so hard to live a holy life. It is so hard to live a life of godliness, and especially a a life of wisdom. To think of all that you've said and try to apply it every day, it's overwhelming to us. So thank you for giving us your spirit that leads us and guides us in all truth. Thank you for giving us the ability to read your word in hundreds of different translations. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to love others in such a way that we would lay down our own lives just like you did on our behalf. In your son's name we pray. Amen.